Well, open your Bibles in Revelation 13. Revelation 13. We're going to look at the entire chapter, but focus on the first um, ten verses uh, that that really identify the first beast that John sees here. Now, last time we were in Revelation, we uh, we we finished a chapter twelve, and uh, we we walked through the the revelation of Jesus Christ, the uh, how Christ reveals Himself, reveals what's going to take place uh, in the the in days which are to come. Uh, we we know that that this is something that takes place after. Uh, Christ comes for the church that uh, we typically call the the rapture, and um, it is the the horrible, terrific end times, if you will, that uh, that awaits the the unbelieving world. During that time, people will be saved. Um, they'll be saved by grace through faith, but it is going to be excruciatingly difficult. God will also preserve the nation Israel. A number of them will die in the judgments that are there, but God will preserve a remnant of Israel. Uh, and then at the second coming, they will look upon the one whom they have pierced and will believe, be regenerated, and enter into the kingdom. And during the kingdom, Jesus will reign literally for a thousand years in Jerusalem on the throne of his father David. Their uh, death will be suspended. Satan will be bound. And yet those children that are born to the ones that enter into the kingdom will still have a sin nature. And those are the ones that will be tempted uh, and led astray by Satan at the very end. And then there's the great battle uh, where Jesus uh, wins. Um, and then you have the, the judgments of the great white throne. And then the new Jerusalem and the new heavens and the new earth that we're all looking forward to. Where we're at in Revelation up to this point is we've seen the vision of, uh, of Jesus Christ. Um, and he, he gives the outline of Revelation. He tells John to write the things that are. Um, that's the vision that he sees while he's on Patmos. And then the letters that Jesus pins to the seven churches. He also tells him to write the, the things that shall take place after. That's the, that's the section that we're in. It's, it's the majority of the book, chapter 4 through chapter 22. talks about the tribulation. There's the throne room, uh, Revelation chapter 4 and 5, where John sees the vision of Christ in the throne room. And, you know, that there's probably two passages in the Bible that, that can just get me fired up by hearing them. One is where John the Baptist sees Jesus and says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. I mean, I can just read that and get excited. The other is Revelation chapter 4 and 5 where no one is found worthy. And he says, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. I mean, just, just even saying that, quoting that to you right now, gets me fired up. That is what we saw in chapter 4 and 5. And then, as Jesus begins to unfurl the, the scroll, written on the scroll, or the judgments 
that's going to take place, that he alone has the right to unleash that, unfurl the scroll, because he is the one who suffered and, and who died. And so you have seven seals and seven trumpets and seven bowls. And we're not to the bowls yet. Uh, also, within chapter 4 through 22, there are three times where God gives us an opportunity to catch our breath. Because, I mean, it is just... It's a deluge. It's just overwhelming judgment upon judgment upon judgment. You just get numb to it. And in chapter 13, chapter 12, the one that we were in before, really from chapter 10, is, is the second pause. And so the breaking of the, of the seven seals, chapter 6 through 8, has taken place, and the seven trumpets, uh, they are contained in the seventh seal, so Jesus unfurls the the scroll, the first seal, second, all the way through the all the way through the the seventh, and the seventh trumpets are contained in the seventh seal, and then you have the bowl judgments that that are the the undiluted wrath of Almighty God um, that's going to be poured out without mercy. Chapter twelve, just in case you weren't here, this is a few weeks ago. As I said, it's the second pause, and it's right after the seventh trumpet. It's right before the first bowl judgment. And in it, you saw the war. We saw the war in heaven between the woman, who is Israel, the child, who is the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, and then there's the, the great dragon and all of his minions. And the dragon is, is Satan and we don't have to guess about that symbolism. Chapter 12 specifically tells us the woman is Israel, Christ is the child, and the dragon is the great deceiver. He's Satan. Chapter 13 that we're going to read and look at tonight shows us the details of what happens in the second half of the tribulation period. So think of chapter 12 as kind of the overview the war that Satan has always, has always participated in, the war against the truth, the war against God's people, the war against God's Son, and some specifics about that, how God's going to preserve Israel. But chapter 13 shows the last three and a half years of the tribulation period and what's going to take place. It reveals the rise of the Antichrist who has governmental authority. There will be a world leader, and he will have sway. He will have authority. He'll have dominion over all of the other smaller rulers of the, of the world. He's going to be satanically fueled. He's going to be uh, a disciple of, of Satan, and he's going to rise, and we're going to see that. It's revealed in chapter 13. And... In the second half of chapter 13, the second beast that John sees is the apostate church or the apostate religion of, of that day. And that's going to help deceive the world's population and help prop up. So you have the government being under the control of Satan and you have the religion or the church being the church little c in, in, in quotations under the control of Satan. And both target those believers who will be converted during the time of the tribulation period. And in chapter 13, you also have what we typically call the mark of the beast. Uh, the Antichrist identifies his enemy. He identifies those that he will attack and those he's against by marking his own followers with a sign. 
And that sign is 666, or the mark of the beast. And I think I've shared with you the semi-humorous story about being told back in West Virginia by probably a well-meaning preacher that that, that, was, uh, that that was a domain name on the Internet. WWW in Hebrew was, was the letter 6. So if you got on the Internet, that meant you took the, the mark of the beast. There will be a literal mark of some kind that, that you will have to take uh, in order to, to survive. Um, and we won't be there tonight. We'll, we'll get the, there probably uh, next uh, Sunday night. During the tribulation, there will be a world leader who will rise, who is empowered by Satan. All the world's going to follow after him. And he'll bring the unbelieving world together under a single rulership that blasphemes God, attacks his followers, and has the backing of a counterfeit religion who deceives the world and causes the people of the planet to worship not only the world leader, but, but Satan himself. So as I said, there's two systems, the governmental and religious. The first beast and the second beast, both propped up and fueled by Satan, who's revealed in chapter 12. So let's read Revelation 13. We're going to read the whole thing and then we'll come back and, and break it down. 13.1 then I, that's John, stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his head, on his heads, a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his authority, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And the world, all the world, marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And he, is, he was given authority to continue for 42 months or three and a half years. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given to him over every tribe and tongue and nation, all who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. And he who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. And here is the endurance or patience and faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all authority over the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and all who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that even, he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by the signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. 
He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast. And the image of the beast should both speak and cause many, as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand and on their foreheads. And that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man. His number is 666. Lots in chapter 13. So I would just, uh, our, main, our main goal is that you get the, the overview and, and then we'll dig down into what it says. And, and, and I already told you, there's the world system and the apostate religion, the two beasts that are seen here. One is this world system that is under the control of the beast, ultimately under the control of Satan. And then there's a second beast that looks like a lamb, it has, has two horns on it. And he, yet he speaks the words of the dragon. He's going to be a counterfeit uh, religion, a counterfeit church. And that second beast is going to be used to deceive the people. That's all of chapter 13. So there's the blasphemous beast of the, of the world structure in verses 1 through 10. That's what we'll look at tonight. And then we'll, we'll see at a later time the apostate beast of the religious system in verses 11 through 18. So the world system and the religious system, or world structure and religious system. Let's look at the, the first one here, the blasphemous beast of the, of the world system. Look, if you would, at verses 1 and 2, because there is the rise of the beast. John says, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. As the, as the dragon, who is Satan, is, uh, is revealed in chapter 12, John is standing at the, at the, on, the, on the sands of the sea, and he sees a beast, and he describes that beast for us. Now remember, you're dealing with symbolism, so you'll hear the word like, like a leopard, like a bear. And here is a beast that has, it's pretty hideous. It's got, uh, it's described as having ten horns, seven heads, and ten crowns on the horns. And there were blasphemous names written on the heads. Now, as I told you last time, don't get caught up or get so confused in, in the symbolism. This is really not that complicated. If you just want to, want to stand back and, and take a look at, at, at what John is revealing here. Heads, Horns and crowns all are symbolic of, uh, of, of kingdoms. They represent authority. Like the, the husband is the head of the wife. It represents authority. And a horn represents strength or, or power. Uh, an animal uses his horn as a, as a weapon. It's, a, it's an indication of his, of his strength. And you understand what a, what a crown represents. A crown represents authority. And so... This beast that John sees here has to do with, with a number of, of rulers, a number of kingdoms. It's, and it's actually a reference to Daniel chapter 7 
verse 8. Now, I won't ask you to go there because we went there when we were going through Revelation 12. If you want to write that down, Daniel 7, 8, it's the same scene. And it's also the scene that was attributed to the great dragon. Look at verse 3 of, of Revelation chapter 12. He says, Another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems or crowns on his head. And so you have the world system here that, that is connected to Satan. And now it's revealed as the, as the beast that's going to carry out the work of Satan on the earth during the second half of the tribulation period. It's, the beast is under the control of the dragon, and the kingdoms follow him as well. And they, they have blasphemies written on them. None of these kingdoms are going to be any good. They're, they're not identified with, with God. They don't worship God. They blaspheme God. They're, it's a reference to their allegiance. And that allegiance is not to God and Satan has control over the kingdoms of the earth right now. There's a certain measure. He's the prince of the power of the air. He has dominion over, over, the, over parts of the world. Um, it's his system that, that, that constantly uh, is trying to conform people to his way of thinking, the cosmos. And as we've said so many times, you don't have to worry about the, the little red, red guy with horns and a pitchfork. You've got to worry about his philosophies, his worldly ways of, of thinking. And he is subtle and he is crafty. And, uh, I mean, if you look, that's, that, that's, how he, that's how he steals minds and steals hearts and steals kingdoms is, is through the philosophies of the world. And we're called to renew our minds. And, and so here, in the future, Satan, while he has a certain measure of control over the world now, he's going to have absolute control uh, from an earthly standpoint in the future. And it's going to be overt, and the world leaders will be brought together in this great confederacy to do his, to do his bidding. Now look at verse 2, because he goes on to describe the beast. Not only does, is this beast made up of kingdoms, is made up of authorities, governments... But it says, now the beast which I saw was like, again, there's that word used three times, it was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him, that's the beast, his power and his throne in great authority. Now the beast is described here like a leopard, feet like a bear, Mouth like a lion. Now, um, you can find just about anything on the internet, and and a, a small bit of it is is good. Okay, and if you go out and you you you, you Google or you search um, who what is the the symbolism of Revelation, it would probably take you between now and the time you see Jesus to be able to read it all. There are so many different ideas and interpretations. Um, 
that, that are out there, and sadly, the vast majority of them have, have no connection whatsoever with the text. And they're easily misinterpreted and easily uh, presented because this is symbolism. It's like these things. So some will try to identify these as current world powers, these, these animals. Some will say the leopard is, is Iran. And so, you know, just, just like today, you know, Iran is working on a nuclear weapon. Uh, here it is in Revelation. And that's why we need to, to stand against uh, Iran. The bear, who do you think the bear is? Russia. Russia, that's right, the Russian bear. And the lion is, is Iraq. I've, I've even, uh, if I remember, even some uh, attribute that to England. You know, England's going to turn on us one day. You know, the, the, the English crown uh, has a lion that's, uh, that's there. And, and sadly, the error in all of that is we don't know when this is going to happen. And so to, to, to attribute this to current nations, they may not even exist then. Um, and so to name them now is, is unhelpful. And the point is not who it is. The point is that these nations are going to rise and they're going to be under the control of, of Satan and they're going to, to have dominion over the earth. And John's point is not who they are today, but who they were, who those nations were that Daniel foretold. The same thing is, the same symbolism is also in the book of Daniel. And Daniel describes three great world systems since his time. There's the Babylonian Empire. And Daniel says that it represents the leopard. There's the, the Medo-Persians. And Daniel says they represent the bear. And then there's the Alexandria, the Alexander the Great, or the Roman Empire. And that represents the, the lion, Daniel says. And, and what he says here is the world power that will rise in, in the second half of the, of the tribulation will be the fourth great empire that the world has ever seen, and it will have characteristics of all the other three combined. And it's going to be more powerful and more blasphemous than all of the other empires of the world put together. And it's going to have the swiftness of a leopard. It's going to have the majesty and power of a lion. It's going to have the strength of a bear. And to this world government, the dragon, that Satan, gives his power and his authority and his throne. So that's the first thing that John sees, the rise of the beast. And then in verse 3, he tells us about the wound of the of the beast. Look, if you would, at verse 3. Now, I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. One of the rulers, one of these kingdoms, under the authority of the beast, Will be, will be wounded to death. It'll have a mortal wound. And that, they'll re, this, 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 uh, um, this one will, one head will recover from that, from that mortal wound. And because of that, the world's going to marvel. Now there are again, countless interpretations of, of what this means. Some people say this was Nero. Others say that it was Judas. 
Some say it was Hitler or Mussolini or, or Stalin. And whatever it is or whoever it is, it represents the head that was wounded and rises again. So it can't be Judas, it can't be Nero, it can't be Hitler, Stalin, or Mussolini because they would have to rise, rise again. And this is why they're marveling is the mortal wound which, which brought it to death was, was healed. So what is it, what is it referencing here? I can't be dogmatic, but I would say, in my mind, it's best in keeping with the theme that this is a future empire that's, that once seemed dead and now rises again. It's a revival of an empire that, that would be a miracle, that it, that it shows back up and, and comes back to, to control or prominence. And because of that, the world's going to fawn after it and worship Satan because of it. I mean, can you imagine the Roman Empire being resurrected and coming back to power? Can you imagine, uh, um, I'm not saying this is Hitler, but could you imagine Nazism rising again back to, back to its, its, its greatness? Is it that, or is it uh, some um, literal wound, uh, an imitation of the of the crucifixion of Christ, that somehow there's going to be one of the rulers or one of the leaders that is that that's that's going to um, it's going to die, uh, and and somehow Satan is going to be able to to bring him back to power, bring him back to life. That that's another interpretation. Um, I, for me, I think the problem with that is Satan doesn't have the ability to give life back, and so if that was the case, it would be. It would be God's uh, God's doing and God's permission, and that doesn't make sense. So there is this wound of one of the heads, which leads to the worship of the of the dragon. This worldwide government, this confederacy, um, is going to rise to power. It's going to be the fourth great empire, according to Daniel. It's going to have great uh, great power. When, when, when part of that empire comes back to, to the forefront, people are going to marvel by that. They're going to, uh, it's going to be attributed to Satan. And because it is, they're going, to, they're going to worship the dragon. Look, if you would, at verse 4. So they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worship the beast, saying... Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Now, the Apostle Paul warned in warned the Corinthians not to participate in the idol feasts. Not idol like like lazy, but idol like little idols. Thank you. He warned them not to participate in those feasts because, because the unbelievers that did that sacrificed unto demons. All false religions of the world, regardless of what they're named, are satanically fueled. And they have a demonic uh, power behind them, whatever they're called. And this... All the false religions of the world are fueled by that satanic power, and the future governments here in Revelation 13 will be no different. And the worship 
will not be masked at that point. It's, it's going to be overt. Satan will unmask himself and the world will, will worship him. During the tribulation period, men will worship the dragon who gives power to their world leader and their world system. And they will say, who is like the beast? Who is like the, the, the ruler? Who is like the, this, this great government that we have? Who is able to make war with him? Those are blasphemous words. Those are words Israel said about God. Who is like our God? And those words in blasphemy will be said in the, in the worship of, of Satan. And not only will the world attribute worship to Satan and blaspheme God, but they'll do that uh, to the beast. And the beast will blaspheme as well. There's the blasphemous personality of the beast. Look at verse 5. And he, that's the beast, was given a mouth, speaking things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. 12, 24, 36, what comes next? 48, right? 42, so this is three and a half years. He's given a span in which he's able to, to rule for three and a half years. And so you have the world system, the governments that are set up, controlled by Satan, are worshiping him. They are speaking blasphemies toward the Lord in praise to, to the beast. And the beast is also fueling that as well with what, what he is saying. Um, his, his mouth speaking great things, the promises that he will make, the speeches that he will give for the people to follow him. Hitler had Mein Kampf and, and um, uh, communism had, uh, had their books. This will be the, the philosophy of the, of the false um, leader of the world. And they'll be, he'll be able to boast, and he'll be able to blaspheme, and his evil character will be on full display. And he'll do that for three and a half years until his mouth is stopped. Now, don't miss something here. Look at verse 5 again. He was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. He was given authority to continue for... 42 months, then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. Who allows that three and a half years? Well, God allows that three and a half years. Who sets the timetable? The Lord is the one that sets the timetable. Now, I'm not saying God is responsible for what the beast or these wicked individuals do. But Satan is never in total control. And when the king of kings returns, at the end of the three and a half years, this blaspheming mouth will be stopped by the word of, of Christ. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. When Jesus comes as king of kings and lord of lords. 
But before we get there, there will be a world ruler, and he's going to be very convincing and speaking blasphemous things against the Lord, and he'll continue to do that for a period of time. And during that time, not only is he going to be saying these things, but he's going to have a universal dominion over the, over the earth. There's the dominion of the beast in verse 7. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. And all who dwell on the earth worship him. God will permit the beast to do his work, uninhibited, if you will. And for this short period, he'll make war with the saints and conquer them, literally put them to death. They're, the believers that are there are going to, are going to persevere unto the end and they're going to lose their, lose their lives. And you say, why would God allow the beast or Satan to have this type of authority during this period of time? What's well, a judgment? God gives the world exactly what they desire. What is the essence of depravity? What's, what's the, the core nature? What's our core fallen nature? We, we don't want to submit to God. We're rebellious. We don't want to follow God. And so God gives them what they want. The worst judgment that God could ever bring upon you is no judgment at all to leave you alone. And you see that in, in Romans chapter 1. And so he gives the world exactly what they're wanting a world without Him. And they gladly follow the leader, and that leader has, has dominion. And He uses that dominion to make war with the saints and to conquer them or to put them to death. And that extends over every tribe, tongue, and nation. And Satan, during this part of the, of the tribulation period, will have... A, will have worldwide dominion, and he'll use that authority to kill anyone who confesses Christ. You'll come to Christ during that time, not any of you, because you'll be with the Lord, unless you're here tonight and don't know Jesus as your Savior. People will come to Christ, but it will cost them their, their lives. And I think, honestly, I think it's hard for us to, to fathom that. Because what does it cost us? to follow Jesus today. Um, there's a cost to it. I'm not belittling that. You, you, you may not be able to pursue some of the things that the, that the world pursues. You may be ridiculed. You may lose friends. You may lose resources or otherwise. But, but most of us in here will, will not be called to, to sacrifice our lives but those in this period will. They'll, they'll be the target. Those who lose their lives for Christ's sake will actually save their lives, their eternal life. And the only way that you'll escape death during this period of time is if you worship the beast. Look at you what at verse 8. All who dwell on the earth We'll worship Him. Whose names 
It's the ones who are on the earth that worship Him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So you have this ominous picture of the, of the beast, of the government system, the world dominions, what they'll be like, um, the worship of Satan, his target being the saints. And he ends, John ends this vision with an encouragement about the preservation of, of God's elect during this time. Look if you would at verse, at verse 9. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the endurance and the faith of the saints. Here is the endurance and the faith of the saints required during this time. Those that have been written in the, in the Lamb's book of life for the foundation of the world will be preserved during this period of time. And all who are on the earth, it's very clear in verse 8, all who dwell on the earth will worship the beast. That will be everyone whose name is not written in this book before the foundation of the world. Now, there's the contrast here. Those who dwell on the earth and those whose names are written down. Turn back, if you would, to Matthew chapter 24, because Jesus echoes this this same thing in the Olivet Discourse. That God will preserve a remnant even in the tribulation period. Matthew 24, verse 21. Here's part of it, but let's read verse 21. You remember the Olivet Discourse? Jesus goes out from the temple. This is in the, in the middle of the Passion Week. Uh, Jesus, just in a few days, is going to die on the cross. And um, he goes out to the Mount of Olives, and he, and he has a, a, a teaching time with his disciples. And they ask him two questions in verse, in verse 3 of Matthew 24. Tell us, when will these things be? The judgment that's going to come on the on the temple, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So Matthew 24, verse 3, tells us the two questions that Jesus answers in the Olivet Discourse, that the disciples want to know, when is this going to happen, and what will the sign of your coming be and the end of the, end of the age? Revelation hasn't been written then. And Jesus answers, and for the rest of chapter 24... He, he answers both of those questions, the signs, and then, and then when it will, will, will take place. Look, if you would, back at uh, verse 15 of Daniel 24. Daniel 24. Matthew 24, 15. It says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let him who is on the housetop go down and, 
and not go down and take anything out of his house. Let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. And woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. Pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. Now, that's a description of what happens in, in Revelation 12. But look at verse 21. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor shall there ever be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the sake, for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. And if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, and there, do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even deceiving the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say, look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Look, he is in the inner rooms, do not... Believe it. This is Revelation 12 and Revelation 13. Jesus speaks of it right here in the Olivet Discourse. And and while Satan will rise and men will fall, God will preserve a remnant of people that he has chosen and they will not bow to the beast. But while they're secure by God's grace, they shouldn't let their guard down. Because it's going to be tough. Turn back to Revelation 13 if you're if you're not there. Verse nine: He who has an ear, let him hear. And he who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the endurance and the faith of the saints that's going to be required during this period of time. It's a, it's a, it's a warning. It's an encouragement and it's a warning. If anyone is taken captive, he will go. If anyone is slain with the sword, with the sword, he will be slain. It's, it's an encouragement that God will preserve a remnant, and it's also a warning that those who will be alive during that time will be called to endurance and great faith. That's that last statement. Here is the patience and the faith of the, of the saints. You're not going to be forsaken, but you can, you can fall. Now, the, the, the statements, if anyone is taken captive, if anyone is slain, has two legitimate interpretations. And I don't know which is which is right. Both of them theologically could be right, okay? One is this is saying what this is what's going to happen to believers during the tribulation period. While there's going to be a remnant preserved, what's going to happen to them is they're going to be locked up and they're going to be slain with the sword. And so they're going to be required to have endurance and great faith during that period of time. They'll be imprisoned and killed, and and that's true during the tribulation period. Their only preservation will be that that God will will ultimately preserve them, usher them into His kingdom. The other interpretation 
is this is a warning not to the believers who will be preserved, but those who are going to do this to the believers. If anyone takes a captive, then to captivity he will go. And if anyone kills with the sword, then he must be killed by the sword. It's what God's going to do to those who, who do these wicked deeds to, to the believers that are written in the book of life. And it's true that God's going to bring his vengeance one day on those who persecute his, his people, and that's going to be without mercy. But regardless... That very last phrase makes it very clear that the saints who will believe during the tribulation must endure and have great faith to, to survive. Now, aren't you glad that the rapture is already going to have been taking place and that you're not going to be here for that, that, that period of time? And if, I know sin's illogical. I know unbelief's illogical. I, I was a, I was an unbeliever at one point. But when you just put it in this, this logical sense, if, if these things really are coming, why wait? I mean, the salvation, salvation is freely offered to anyone who will repent and believe. And why not believe on Christ here and now and escape the wrath that is to come by trusting in um, in Jesus, because those who will believe on this day, in this period of time, will face great trial, and even though that they do, the Lord will not forsake them, and He'll bring them into, into His kingdom. Well, that's the government systems, the first beast, and next time we're going to look at the, the beast that's from the earth. And that's the religious system or the apostate church that will, that will be there. The Catholic Church, Islam, a conglomerate of those and everything else, uh, possibly all of that and, and then some. So.